And he did. He arose. And we're one week out from uh, past Easter. And the disciples this day are still a little bit in confusion. And it took a while for everything to sink in. They had to go be with him in Galilee, be with Christ after the resurrection. And, uh, you know, we get past Easter day and we think it's, well, Easter's gone until the next year. But no, there's a lot in the Easter week that's still happening in uh, the New Testament era. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Got a question for you. Why are you here? Why are you here? Now, I'm not asking you why you're in church this morning. That's not what I mean. But why do you exist? What, what's the reason that you're on earth? Now, this is a question of purpose. What is your purpose? You know, if evolution were true, and it's not, but if it were true, <clears throat> they would have an answer like this for why we're here. There is no purpose. There is no purpose in life. We're just all chemical accidents. We came from some primordial soup. And we're on our way to become dirt. We're highly evolved, sophisticated machines, basically made ourselves. But one day we're going to break down and decompose. No purpose, no meaning. That's really an evolutionary answer. Well, the primordial soup theory reigned for about 80 years. But you know, since about 2010, they've thrown that one out the window. It's, well, we've been wrong for the last 80 years. It's not primordial soup that where life began. Now it's microscopic natural caverns at hydrothermal vents in the ocean floor. Now, that's going to be around for a while. They'll throw that theory out. <laughs> Listen, there's a better answer. There's a better answer why we're here. Let's stand and we're going to read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Here's what the scripture says. And this is the accurate one. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Made by God, made in the image of God, made male and female, clear and simple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the simplicity of it, the truth of it, the power of it to change our lives. I pray as we focus on purpose this morning that you would encourage our hearts. May we see afresh what you've done in our lives. And I pray that we would spend our lives to give glory to you and to honor your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, regarding the existence of mankind... The book of Genesis gives some answers, and we, we have the following in chapter 1. When it comes to the existence of mankind, we have the who, what, when, and where. The who is God. In the beginning, God, we have the what? Created. In the beginning, God created. 
He took something and made us. We have the when. The last verse of chapter 1 that we just were reading from says this, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So the when is the sixth day of God's creation week. That's when we came into existence. We have the where, earth. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And for the rest of the chapter, the things that God's doing by way of creative acts is taking place on earth. Who, what, when, where, why. Now, why is the one that's missing? You can read chapter 1 and chapter 2 where the Bible describes the creation and why is not there. <clears throat> now, the Bible does have a, a general answer for why. And philosophers, they have debated this and discussed this well for 2,000 years or more. What is the purpose of life? Now, folks, I want you to take that question and make it very personal and ask the question of yourself and, and ask it like this. Why did God make me? Ask yourself that. Why did God make me? What is my purpose? Why am I here? <clears throat> the Bible does have a general answer for that. And the specific answer, well, maybe that's best discovered as you live life and as, as you look back and you see what God's done in your life and what, how he's used you, maybe we learn more the specific answer as we live life and we, we say, oh, that's, that's why I'm here. That's, that's why God made me this way. But the Bible does give a general answer as to why he made us. And to get that, we're going to go all the way to the other end of the Bible. So now we're going to, we started in Genesis, we're going to go to Revelation. All right, chapter 1. So from chapter 1 of Genesis to chapter 1 of Revelation, and we're going to look for why are we here? Now I know that's a big jump in the, in the Scripture, and there's a lot in between those, those two books. But Revelation does make some things very clear for us. I want to give you a quick context for the book of Revelation. If you're kind of new to the book of Revelation, this will help you. It was written by the Apostle John one of the disciples, and he's following God's instructions when God told him to sit down and write some things. And then God told him what to write, and look in verse 19 of chapter 1. And here's what it says. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, that's a good outline for the entire book of Revelation. What you've seen, what the things that are and the things that's going to be hereafter. If I was going to set this book up, and I, and I did set your notes up like this, <clears throat> if this was a dramatic play, if Revelation was a dramatic play, a Broadway play, it would have acts and scenes. So I've given you your notes in acts and scenes as though this is a play. Has anybody been to Broadway in here? Anybody ever been to Broadway? Whoa, quite a few of you. Been to Broadway more than once. Yeah, a handful one day, my daughter said, Dad, can we go see Beauty and the Beast at Broadway? And so we saved our shekels for a while. And uh, our, my first visit to New York City was when I took my family to Broadway. And uh, the, the most difficult part was finding a place to park the car. 
we got the car parked, and then we're walking, and I had a general idea where Broadway was from looking at a map, and I'm standing on the street corner, a little bit of drizzly rain, just very slight, and because it's just a little bit of rain, Susan and our daughter Jamie, they were, they were on the sidewalk, but up against the building underneath a little awning, and I'm out at the street corner, and I'm looking up and down the street and trying to get my bearings, and the van pulls up. Guy rolls the window down and says, uh, can I help you? I said, well, I'm, I'm in New York City for the first time, and I'm looking for Broadway. And he says, you never been here before? I said, no. He goes, welcome to our city. Do you want me to drive you around? <laughs> I said, sure. And, and my wife and daughter and I, we all jumped in his van. <laughs> his name was Angelo. And I tell you, he took us all over the place. He took us down toward Wall Street. He took us by Radio City Music Hall. He even took us by a Christian bookstore. We had this great conversation. And I did feel it was a little bit safe because there was a lady sitting in the passenger seat of the van and there was a little girl in the bench seat behind. I saw that before we got in the car. And uh, I wouldn't recommend you get in the car with a stranger, but <clears throat> that happened. <clears throat> and uh, I told him we needed to go to the Palace Theater. That's where Beauty and the Beast was playing. So after this, driving us around, showing us some of the sights, he delivered us to the Palace Theater, parked right in front, jumped out, the car runs around, opens the door to the van, sliding door, helps my wife out, helps my daughter out, thanks us for coming to his city, and then we walk into Palace Theater, and I'm thinking, this is fantastic. My first time in New York City, and an angel picked us up and took us to the palace. And we had a great time. Now, don't get in a car with a stranger, but that happened to us. <clears throat> and we enjoyed the theater. If this was set up like a act, like a play, a dramatic play, it would have acts and scenes. Chapter 1 would be Act 1, the things which thou hast seen. Act 2 would be chapters 2 and 3, the things which are. That's the current situation in John's day. And those two chapters are, there's letters written to seven churches, churches that were in existence currently in John's day. In fact, John had pastored one of those churches. Those, that's the things that are. And then act three would be the things which shall be hereafter. That's what God is going to do. And there'd be multiple scenes to that act. And the first scene would be chapter four and another scene in chapter five. And you can just add the scenes as you go through the book of Revelation. Act 3, scene 1, chapter 4, is what, is what John sees in heaven. So look with me in chapter 4, verse 1. Let's see what he saw. And after this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me. That is, it's loud, it's distinct, it's clear. And, and this voice, like a trumpet, talks to him and, and says, Come up hither. And I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. All right, that's the third act, the hereafter act. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And for the next two chapters, we're given an understanding of what John saw when he was caught up to heaven. Now, I know it's popular today, and it has been for about 10 years, for people to have heaven and back experiences. You know, they die, they go to heaven, they come back, write a book, go on some talk shows. 
in one case, a movie made about it. And, you know, call me skeptical. As it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this a judgment. So I'm going to stick with the scriptures. John was, he didn't die and was taken to heaven. He was transported by God to heaven for a purpose. And when he, because he wants him to see and know some things. So when John gets to heaven, here's what he sees. And number one in your notes, God sitting on the throne. There's a throne there in the middle of verse 2. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. <clears throat> God is sitting on the throne. He is the king of his creation. He is the one in charge. You know the song, This Is My Father's World? You've heard the song. The last verse says this. This is my father's world, and let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. He is sitting on the throne. He is the king of his creation and John sees him sitting on the throne, and he tries to describe what he sees. And I think probably, as you look at the description, it's just words are inadequate. How do you describe something like you've never seen before? And he's, he's, he's fishing for a way to say it. You know, there's several descriptions of God in the Bible. Daniel has one. Ezekiel has one. Revelation has one. And this is John's best way to describe what he's looking at. God was... Looking on this throne and God on the throne was like looking at jasper. That's a precious stone. It, it breaks light into brilliant colors. It's like looking at a sardine stone. That's orangish, reddish in, in hue. A multicolored rainbow refracting light that is coming from the throne. You see a picture here? He's, this is an artist trying to describe, trying to draw what John is trying to describe as he's explaining to us what it looks like in heaven as he's there. An emerald green hue. And I don't think we could do any better as we're trying to describe God, what, what we see if, if we saw God. But he sees God sitting on the throne. He sees more. Number two, before God's throne are 24 elders. Verse 4, and round about the throne were four and 20 seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, time doesn't permit us to develop this fully, but those 24 elders sitting there are representative of believers, born-again believers, saved people that have gone on. They're represented by this group. In chapter 5, they are, they are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They've trusted Christ as Savior, God's that the shed blood of Christ has washed away their sin. They're there, these 24 elders representing the believers, and they have white garments on, representative of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Their sins are forgiven. They're righteous before God. They're in heaven, and they have crowns on their head. They, they have been rewarded for their service. As you read through the New Testament, you will find uh, about five crowns that God refers to that are available 
to Christians. Now, I wouldn't suggest that those are, that's an exhaustive list, but the kind of things that God rewards, and I've put them in your notes, an incorruptible crown, crown of rejoicing, righteousness, life, glory, you can read those later, but God will reward us. And they're called crowns. And here we see the believers in heaven before the throne of God, and they have crowns on their head. They've been rewarded. He sees more. Number three, a fearsome display of God's power. From this throne is coming out lightnings and thunders and voices emanating from the throne of God. But he sees more. He sees a sea of glass, verse 6. And before the throne was a sea of glass likened to crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. This, this crystal floor reflecting the light emanating from God. This is a majestic scene. And there are four beasts there. It's mentioned in verse 6 and following. In the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion, second like a calf, third uh, beast uh, had the face of a man, as of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts, each of them, had six wings about him. They were full of eyes within. They rest not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, Bible scholars differ and question as to what all of that description means. But these angelic beings before the throne of God are very similar to the seraphim that's described in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up and he saw the seraphim with six wings crying holy, holy, holy. These are angelic beings before God. They're special beings. They give glory to God. And then notice what happens. When they give glory to God, here's what happens. Verse 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. But then they're just filled with awe and they fall out of their seats and they take their crowns, which they have been rewarded for their service. They take the crowns and they cast them at the feet of God and in humble submission and worship and all before God Almighty. This is the scene that, that John is looking at. And as they cast these, these crowns down, look at what they say. Verse 12, 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. That's Genesis chapter 1. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All things. Everything that's made, that God, God made, and all of that. The universe, the earth, sun, moon, stars, everything Genesis chapter 1 tells us about, plants, animals, man and woman, all things were created by him. And it says why. It says here why. Why were we created? And for thy pleasure they are and were created. There it is. We are created for the pleasure of God. Now let that sink in. Think about that. All that God created 
including us. He created it for his pleasure. <clears throat> Leads us to some understanding. And I've given you some points here to think about when we contemplate that we are really made for the pleasure of God. He did not have to make us, but he chose to. And he made us for his pleasure. Not for our pleasure, but for his. Number one, we are his design. We are his design. Can you jump over to Psalm 139 real quick with me? Psalm 139, verse 13. Psalm 139. It says this in verse 13. The psalmist says, For thou hast possessed my reins. What that means is, Thou hast formed my innermost being. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. And when the scripture says here that we're covered, the word actually means knit or woven. God wove us together. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance, and that means frame, or skeleton, or bones. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, that's figurative language for the womb. As God formed us in the womb, God saw our frame, what it would be. Verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. We're still in embryonic form. We're in development in the womb as he's weaving us together in the womb. And God saw it. And in thy book, all my members were written. God, figuratively speak, had a book. Kind of think of it as a blueprint. He has a blueprint. He is He's designing the babe in the womb. He's weaving it together, the innermost part of that child, the frame of that child. He's weaving it all together, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come together according to what he's written in the book, in the blueprint. We are, we are made by God. We're designed by God. Now, this is a very relevant passage for the pro-life movement. A child in the womb is... What God is doing as God is weaving a person together and creating and making that person every child, every child in the womb, God is doing that. All children are designed by God according to God's blueprint, and that includes us. We were designed by him. So we are his design, number two. His design is perfectly suited to his purpose. Perfectly suited. He has a purpose. The Bible speaks of us as clay in the potter's hand. Isaiah wrote it like this. God told Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote this down, but now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art, thou art potter, and we are the work of thy hand. So the image is very clear to us. God is the potter. He's got clay, and he's forming something 
with the clay as the potter, as the creator, as the designer. Jeremiah expanded on that. And Jeremiah wrote in chapter 18 of his book, God, God told Jeremiah this, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. So Jeremiah gets up, goes down to the potter's house, and when I went down to the potter's house, behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. That's the lesson. He's watching the potter make the vessels, multiple vessels, different kinds of vessels. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand. God is making things. He's making people. You know, I brought in some dishes here. Some potter made this stuff. And you know, all these things, they, they all have different design. They have purpose. They're made with a purpose. If I was going to, if I was going to eat a steak, I think this would be a good thing to use for the steak. And I'd slap it on here, and it would be easy to cut with a fork and a knife. Now, if I tried to put a, a steak in this and cut it, with, it, it wouldn't work very well. Could it be done? Yeah, maybe. But it wasn't designed for that purpose. This was designed for that purpose. And this was designed for another purpose, for drinking tea, not coffee. All right, so it's designed for drinking tea. So if I'm going to drink hot tea, I'm, I'm probably going to put it in this one. Can I drink tea out of this? Yes, I could. Wouldn't be as easy. Probably be a little sloppy. It would probably get cold real fast, unless it was all filled up with tea. Now, this is good to put a bunch of mashed potatoes in and set on the table. And this is really good for tea. And this is fantastic for oatmeal. You know, and this little thing, this is important too. And it has a hole in the bottom with a little plug, and, you, and it's made that way so you can put salt in there and put the plug back on to keep salt in, and there's holes, little holes. Now, I could drink tea out of this, but it wouldn't be easy. And I could pour salt out of this on my steak. But everything has a design. The potter made this with design because he has one purpose for this and another purpose for this. And we are, God told Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and look. And so he's down and he's looking to see what's happening. And he's learning the lesson that God is the designer. He, and he makes us with a purpose. And that purpose is good. It's always good. And that means this, that everything God wants you to do, you can do. Because he designed you. And he designed you with purpose. And everything God wants you to do, not only can you do it, you can do it so good that it brings pleasure to him because he created you for his pleasure. And he wants you to bring pleasure to him. <clears throat> he did a perfect job when he created you. And no two people are alike. And the height that you have and how fast you can run, your speed, your agility or lack of agility and intelligence and humor and analytical bent and talents and strength and compassion and everything that's about you was created by the creator, the designer. And he did it all for his pleasure. And if we just use what he's given us, 
what he made us to be, we can bring pleasure to him. Number three, our life is not our own. It's not our own. It's his. It's all about him. It's not about us. We're created for his pleasure. <clears throat> now, do any of you have a creative streak in you? Anybody have a creative streak? You know, it can be manifested in multiple ways. <clears throat> you can write music. We found out on Good Friday service, Pastor Colton wrote a song to his mother. And he even sang it on Good Friday. And if you weren't there to hear it, see him after church. He'll sing to you the song that he wrote to his mother when he was 22 years old. Some people write music. You know, others have talents to paint or to draw or to build or design or to teach or to counsel or to assist. Just talents, just the way God made them. In 2002, my Actually, before 2002, my daughter came to me one day. She was a teenager, and she said, Dad, would you make me a hope chest? She was emphatically clear. She didn't want me to buy a hope chest. She wanted me to make her a hope chest. So I told her, I'll, I'll make you a hope chest. So in 2002, I made her a hope chest, and I wanted to chronicle it because I wanted to give her the history of the making of the hope chest because I figured it might be an heirloom. So here I started out in my little wood shop, and I'm making the parts. Let's go to the next picture. And I'm starting to put it together. And i got to make sure you understand, I do not have a pink shop. My shop was salmon color. It wasn't pink. It was salmon color. And so I'm putting the pieces together. Let's go to the next picture. I have a trusty assistant. Every once in a while, I'd call Susan, say, can you come down and help me hold this end? And, and I need to move this over here. And she'd help me move that <clears throat> in my salmon color shop. And next picture, <clears throat> and then I'm putting the finishing touches on, a little, little plaque. Let's go to the next one. The little plaque says, handcrafted for Jamie Elstock. I love you, honey bunny. I always called her that. Dad, Christmas 2002. So Christmas time comes around. We open a few gifts. I had this behind a couch in the next room. And so after we opened everything, then I went in, in the next room, and I pushed it out. And that's when it dawned on her. She knew what she was getting. She didn't know before then. And so she hadn't opened it, but yet she's, she knows what's coming. So she starts to open it and takes the wrapper off. And she gets her first look at it. Doesn't even have all the, the cardboard off. Next, next picture. Now she's kneeling down in front of it, and she's just looking it over. And she's really savoring what she is experiencing. And then next picture. I made a booklet. Oh, she's reading the plaque. And then the next picture, I made a little booklet that had the pictures in it and the history of it and the cherry that's in the, that the thing was made out of, the cherry came out of her great-grandfather's backyard. Oh, 50 years earlier, my, my grandfather had it cut down. My dad had it cut up in lumber. My dad was going to make something out of it. Passed away young. Uh, never got to use the wood. Mom ended up giving the wood to me. I had it for couple decades, and I thought, I'm going to make it out of that cherry wood. And so there's meaning to the wood, and I've got the history of grandpa and grandma, and I made a nice little leather book, and she's, she's reading it all over, and then the last picture in this, and then, then here's the reward at the end. And I tell you, that the, the hug made it worth all of the time spent creating it, and it made it worth all of the injuries incurred and, and making it, and the stitches, and everything that goes along with it. <clears throat> you know, we exist for God. 
We are for His pleasure. And when we're grateful to Him for what He's done, how He's made us, when we're grateful, when we show appreciation, it brings pleasure to God. Just like the hug at the end, the gratefulness brought pleasure. I created it and it brought pleasure. And that's the way it is with us and God. We need to hug God. We, we need to express appreciation to God for what he's done for us, for everything he's given us, the way he made us. He didn't make a mistake. We are exactly the way he designed us to be. Appreciate what he's done. Remember the, the film uh, Chariots of Fire? Eric Little, and he ran, uh, he was supposed to run the 100 meter, refused to run in the Olympics, 1924 Olympics, 100 meter, because it was on a Sunday, and he went to church. But he ran the 400 later in the week, and he happened to win. And he wasn't supposed to win that. He hadn't trained for that one. He trained for the 100, but he won the 400. And his sister, Jenny, was concerned that his running would consume him and detract him from his goal of going to China as a missionary. They were MKs, and they were going back to China as missionaries. And here's what Eric Little said to his sister, Jenny. He said this, I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When we use what God has given us and we use it for him, we can feel his pleasure. He made us for himself. You've known the joy of accomplishment. You've gotten, some of you, good grades in school. Maybe all of you, good grades in school. Maybe a job promotion for excellent work or a well-ordered home or a sports victory or maybe somebody's published a work and you, you sense the joy of accomplishment in that. But you know, when you, uh, when you use what God has given you and you do it for God and you do it with appreciation and you do it with acknowledging God, Oh, just the enjoyment that God can get out of that is tremendous. Look in your notes in that box. Look at this verse, Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and what? And for him. All things were created by him and for him. That's why we're here. Who, what, when, where, why? Why? To bring pleasure to God. Why? For him. You understand that? It's all about him. And it's all for him. Number four, one of the most rewarding, fulfilling joys is to see how God uses you. As you use everything he's given you and you do it for him and you serve for him, and you honor him, and you worship him, and God does something with your life, the joy that comes from that, the, the reward that comes from God can fill your heart. But number five, when we don't do what he made us for, it brings displeasure. We don't have time to look at Moses, but boy, Moses, God had a task for him to do, made him for a task, Told him the task, I can't do it. Yes, you can. I can't speak. 
I'll, I'll give you what to say. I don't know who you are. I am that I am. He kept giving him answers, and finally at the end, he said, I, I can't do it. Find somebody else, God. And the, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses because Moses wasn't doing what God created him to do. Now, he went and did it, but God became displeased because Moses wouldn't perform what he was made to do. Act 3, scene 2, we get into heaven, or John did, and I'll tell you what comes out of chapter, chapter 5, the next chapter in Revelation. You find a major part of that chapter from verse 9 and following. We can't read it for time's sake. But they are doing exactly what they were created to do. All of the angelic beings, all of God's creation, everything in heaven and in earth and in the sea and under the sea and all that God made, thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, all of God's creation is giving praise and glory and honor to God. They're doing what they were made to do, made for his pleasure. <clears throat> How about us? Can we do any less? Can we do any less? We have a week starting today. We have a week. New week. We start out right. We're in the house of God, but we've got a whole week to worship him and to serve him and to take everything he's given us, the way he made us, and what we do this week, we do for this purpose. My goal this week is to give glory to God and to bring pleasure to Him. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to, I'm going to make God happy by doing what He created me to do. All things were made by Him and for Him, specifically for His pleasure. Let's worship Him, but yet let's serve Him and please Him with the way He made us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, your word is filled with truth that helps us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for the way that you have created us. And God, may we use our lives for you the way that you meant for us to. Thank you that you saved us for the lamb that was slain for us. And I pray that we would never get over the wonder of that, that we'd be filled with joy, gratitude, and that we would serve. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I know many of you know Christ as Savior. <clears throat> you have, there was a day that you received Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel was given to you. You heard the good news, how Christ died on the cross for our sins and you trusted Christ by faith, and he saved you. He washed away your sins, and you know it. That is the reality of your life. And you can raise your hand and say, that is true of me. I know that I am saved. I know heaven's my home. Could you testify to God by raising your hand with our heads bowed and eyes closed? That's true of you. Thank you. You can put it down. I wonder if it's not true of some of you. Maybe there, was, there wasn't a day that you learned what Christ had done for you. Maybe in your heart there's this, still this question, I, I don't know how to get to heaven. I don't know what is, God is requiring of me to go to heaven, but I certainly want to know. 
I would want to go to heaven, but I don't know. I don't know. Would you pray for me? Is that true in your heart? Could you, by raising your hand, say, Pastor Elstock, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, but I want to. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Anybody like that? And Christian, <clears throat> are you going to use your life this week to bring pleasure to him? Is that going to be the purpose? Is it going to be in your heart, in your thinking? I'm, I'm going to please God. I'm going to make God happy. Can we live that way this week? I don't know what he wants you to do. And maybe right now you don't know all he wants you to do. But day by day, walk with him. And please him with your life. Father, as we sing to you now, our, our words that we sing are to your glory. We honor you for all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's everybody stand. We're going to look at sing 465. <clears throat> Only trust him. Pray where you're at. Come to the altar if you want to and pray. Offer this up as worship to God and let's focus our hearts on him. Thank you.